0: Remember to visit us online, too, at BestEverYou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino.
1: Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Hopefully our audio is a little bit better today, and we're going to just continue with this show because I think you can you can hear us well enough. I do understand that everybody is, is having um, crackly audio problems and things like that. It is widely reported. Um, I do want to have one, say one thing before we get started with our guest, who is here. His name is Dr. Neil D. Barnard, and I got your name <laughs> pronounced right. I hope. If I if I didn't, let me know. Um, there's there's various stations across the across the internet, and we've never spoken before. But I do want to let you know um, in these viral times, if you are having an emergency. Please dial 911 or or follow the local procedures in your community. Our show does air worldwide, so please follow the procedures in your community. We are not a source of uh, the latest news and information for the coronavirus. So please um, uh, visit the CDC um, and local news that you rely on for your latest information. Doctor, would you have any extra comments on that announcement?
2: Um, I I agree. It's absolutely important that people stay current, but most people already know the drill. Um, Good hygiene is absolutely critical. That means hand washing um, as much as you can, uh, maintaining social distancing, being really very, very uh, cautious, um, including if you are feeling uh, young and not too vulnerable. um, the, The virus can really hit anybody.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, it's really nice that you're here um, today. I think a lot of people will find you of some comfort um, to us all in these unknown times. You are an adjunct, I hope I said that right, professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C., and the president of the Phys- Physicians Committee of, for Responsible Medicine. Um, doctor, uh, I'm sorry, doc, Emily, I wanted to call you doctor too, Emily. <laughs> you feel like doctor to me as well, but author Emily A. Francis is with us as well to co-host this show, and how are you doing, Emily? I hope I have good audio on you as well.
3: Uh, Yeah, I'm hoping that I don't sound as crackly as you guys are sounding over here, but uh, uh, Dr. Barnard was on my show last week, and he is... Phenomenal. He was uh, featured on the movies Forks Over Knives, as well as the movie Milk, and his newest book, Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. He's a New York Times bestselling author of many books, including uh, 21 Day Weight Loss, Kickstart, Power of Foods for the Brain, The Vegan Starter Kit, Um, The Program for Reversing Diabetes There's more than that But we're going to focus on Your Body and Balance today His newest book And I'm so glad to be here Thank you both for allowing me to be part of your show today
1: Yes, and and you're crackly as well But we're going to keep going And um, doctor, in different times I hope you will come back to the show And I apologize for the audio problems that we're having But um, um, what I I wanted to ask you Do you mind taking a few questions About the coronavirus That sort of Maybe tie into your book and all of the things that you do, and I wanted to ask you about like underlying conditions. Would that be okay? And you, you can pass if you okay. So we're hearing Happy that. Yeah, we're. Yeah, I know we're hearing. And thank you for being so kind and being with us. Um, we're hearing that underlying conditions really complicate, um, present some complications with this virus. Can you explain what what you mean? You know what people mean by that, and and what that means.
2: Um, there's one thing you really can't change, and that's your age. So older folks are considered to have a worse course if they pick up the virus than a young person. But I wouldn't take that too far because even young people can run into pretty big trouble with this, so we want to be careful. But there are other groups, people with high blood pressure, people with diabetes, people with heart disease, And people with lung diseases, all of them are at greater risk, and they need to be particularly careful. But that also means that uh, this is a time when all of those people who have those conditions can take steps beyond just hand-washing and isolation. They can follow a healthy diet. Um, That's not going to make the virus go away, but it will make the underlying condition uh, better, and they help them. I'm speaking of improving diet to bring your blood pressure down or to improve your diabetes for example
1: what if i'm in a, like you know what if somebody's in a panic right now thinking oh my gosh all the things i could have done to not be this way right now to not have this or that or another thing is it too uh is it ever too late to start changing your diet and health like no, I, i'm sensing too- oh, yeah go ahead sorry
2: It's never too late. Um, It's it's remarkable how quickly things can improve anyway. Um, What I mean is, let's say a person has diabetes, and they've had it for five years, and they're thinking, oh, I should have done something before. If you change your diet in a big way now, within three or four days from now, your blood sugar is likely to be starting to improve. Your weight is going to be starting to to improve as well. Um, Similarly, if a person has high blood pressure, you might have had it for a while. Um, If you change your diet now, fairly rapidly you'll start to see the beginning of changes. Now, none of this means that you don't need medication if you're on medication now. None of this means that you should cancel your doctor's appointment. What it does mean is that, in addition to whatever treatments you're having, let's maximize uh, the healthfulness of our diet so that we can improve uh,
1: 100%. No. Emily, did you want to ask a question? Um,
3: uh, not so much about the coronavirus, except for that um, I know that going dairy-free is definitely the highest of your priorities for, uh, for what you advocate. And um, I know that dairy leads to mucus production and things that would make it harder to fight off uh, these allergens and then the viral. So um, I know you just said, like, in four days the blood sugar changes. Is that going dairy-free as well?
2: Yes. Um, The the healthiest diet for diabetes is a diet that excludes not only dairy products but all animal products. And the reason that I say that is... Starting in 2003, we did a head-to-head test for people who had diabetes. We did a head-to-head test of a conventional diabetes diet versus a diet that was completely vegan, no animal products at all, no dairy, no meat, no nothing. And we kept oils low, and it turned out to be 300% better than the conventional diet. But dairy products have been linked with respiratory conditions for quite some time. People with asthma, in some cases, do substantially better when they get away from dairy. We're not 100% sure about this, but we believe that the dairy protein uh, causes reactions that aggravate uh, that aggravate lung function. So I would encourage everybody to get away from animal products, and particularly with people with respiratory conditions, getting away from dairy does seem to be helpful for many of them.
1: Doctor, have you have you always had an interest in medication, like? And medicine, can you take us to the kindergarten version of you for a moment? We have some we have some questions from um, some of the college students listening of how you a- arrived at who you are today, I guess is the best way to explain it. People are asking for a little bit more background on you, and I always like to take people back to kindergarten and elementary school, junior high, and high school, and have us – did you have other things in mind, or is this what you've always wanted to do?
2: Oh, no. this uh, I – I came quite late to the idea of going to to medical school. It wasn't until my last year of college that I decided this is what I was going to do. No, before that, I had um, other aspirations of various kinds. Um, But at the very end of college, I decided to go to medical school. and um, I have to say the nutrition side of things started out in a peculiar way. I was working at a hospital in Minneapolis, um, and I had a job in the hospital morgue. In other words, when somebody oh, would die in the hospital, gosh, I had the job of helping. I had to help the pathologist to do the autopsies to, to uncover the cause of death. And during one of these examinations of a man who had severe heart disease that he had died of, the pathologist pulled a big section of ribs off the chest to expose the heart, which was filled with atherosclerosis, meaning narrowed arteries that comes from meat and dairy and so forth. And so the pathologist explained this terrible process that had killed him. At the end of the examination, he put the ribs back into the chest, or I did actually, and I sewed up the skin and cleaned up. And then I went up to the cafeteria afterward, only to discover that they were serving ribs for lunch. Uh, And I have to say that it looked like a dead body, and it smelled like a dead body, and I realized it is a dead body. So I, I couldn't. I didn't yeah. become a vegetarian quite yet, but I, I couldn't eat that. And that started me really kind of thinking about the relationship between what we put in our mouths and the health risks that we run.
1: Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Glad I can hear you.
3: That's it that is. is fascinating. I, I have to tell you, I, I think that's really incredible that that you actually could. Could, could work with that particular area before you, before you realized and got into what you're doing. I do want to ask you really quick, Dr. Barnard, when we talk about reversing diabetes, we are talking about type 2 diabetes, correct? There's not a reversal for type 1.
2: Is that correct? That's your point. That's right. That, that's correct. But even people with type 1 do benefit from a plant-based diet. Um, it won't make their diabetes go away. But on the other hand, what it will do is it will typically reduce the amount of insulin that they require, and it it will very likely help them to reduce the likelihood of complications. Because a person with type 1 diabetes doesn't die of a high or low blood sugar, usually. They die of cardiovascular complications. So you don't want any cholesterol in your diet. You don't want animal fat in your diet. You want to baby those arteries um, that are going through your your body with a completely plant-based diet.
1: Makes sense. Thank you for that. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And thank you for being here because I know, you know, you could be on way bigger shows, and this is really important because our audience is loving this and loving you and your information. And we have a question about cortisol, um, with all the stress, the anxiety, and maybe depression and uh, other things that are going with the times we're in right now, and even before that, um, you know, some we were talking on Best Ever You that people might have already had problems in the works, um, challenges, and so forth, and now we have another layer of something to deal with. Can you talk about what cortisol is and what, yeah, just, yeah, I'm just gonna be quiet. <laughs>
2: cortisol. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Was there a particular question about well, it?
1: Well, it's a factor it, it, it stress causes it. You know, it causes an unbelievable release of amounts of cortisol and that causes all sorts of problems as well. Correct or incorrect?
2: Uh correct. Um, the cortisol is a hormone and it's made in your adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands are, are sitting right on top of your kidneys. That's where they get their name. It's a mixture of adrenal, meaning on top of your renal organ, on top of your kidneys. The adrenals make cortisol. Um, and it's often thought of just ex- exactly what you said as, as a stress hormone. So it's in response to physical stresses. Um, you accidentally hammer your thumb when you're uh, hammering something, and then the cortisol will, will come into your bloodstream. But it also comes out in response to psychological stress. Um, and that uh, psychological stress takes many different forms um, from acute uh, uh, trauma that has occurred to us or what's happening now for many people is this low-grade um, uh, growing anxiety, not knowing what's going to happen. Um, the, the situation that we are in is m- more like um, the situation you're in if you saw just the fin of a shark approaching you. You don't know if he's big or if he's small. Um, you have no idea what the size of the threat is. So the less information we have, the more anxiety we, we experience, um, as opposed to Um, If you see the weather forecast that says it is going to be horrible, um, but you have a pretty good idea of what's coming your way, you've got the facts, then the anxiety is dramatically reduced. So what does that mean? That means the more facts we have, the better off we're going to be. The more information you have, the better off you're going to be. But there's more to it than that. Um, Our bodies also respond to the physical actions that we take. So let's say you go out and you get a good brisk walk in the sunshine. That actually does have a stress-reducing effect that's, in fact, quite measurable. Go out with somebody else. Adding other people to your life will help you too. That's more challenging now with social distancing, but you can still do it. And I would also strongly encourage people to don't forget uh, to get a good night's sleep. And I have what I call my 10 o'clock rule. And this is going to be hard for people, but I live by this. Every night, no matter how good the book is that I'm reading or how good the documentary is on TV or what emails people have sent me, at 10 o'clock at night, I turn out the light and go to sleep. Get up early the next day if you have to. But if you follow that rule, you'll discover that you feel much more in charge of yourself and much more calm than if you stay up super late trying to sort everything out. And then the next day you're feeling like you really don't have the reserves anymore to make it through the day.
1: You know, I, I love this conversation. Hi. Be, sorry, Emily, did, did you want to no, go ask ahead. the question? Go ahead. Well, I love this conversation because I love how you have, um, well, I don't know how to say this right, so fix me here. <laughs> um, you have such a, a broader approach to medicine. I hope I said that right. Um, With complementary care of nutrition, and I just heard you say sunshine. I haven't heard very many doctors in my life say, hey, get out in the sun and take a walk. It's good for you. Um, And that's amazing. I mean, that right there might just change somebody's life and kind of confirm some of their intuitions and so forth. Um, Do you have other advice like that that you could could impart (laughs) on our audience? because
2: that's, that's really helpful. Well, now, I, I should say that when I say take a walk out in the sunshine, um, this kind of sounds like advice that your grandmother no. might have given you. And <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that if there weren't actually good evidence behind it. Um, researchers have looked particularly at people with clinical depression. Um, and depression and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. They very often go together. And what they have found is that if people go out and take a good, brisk walk, um, and if you do it on a regular basis, it has effects that, that can rival antidepressant medications. But all the side effects are good ones. Um, in the process, you're getting healthier in many ways. And the reason I say do it in the sunlight is that we've known for a long time that sunlight on your skin creates vitamin D. That's all good for you. But also there is sort of a mood-improving effect of being out in the sun, and we think it has something to do with being out in the ultraviolet light, Um, which is why on cloudy days people often report their mood is a little bit lower. There's one more piece of this, though, that I'd like to add, and it's something that we discovered completely by accident. Some years ago we were doing a research study with GEICO, the, the car insurance company. Um, and the, the study was designed to help people at work to control their weight and to improve their diabetes. So we implemented at GEICO a completely vegan diet for in the company cafeteria. They would serve the regular cheeseburgers, but they also served veggie burgers and they had an oatmeal bar and salad bars and spaghetti with tomato sauce instead of meat sauce. And what we found is that over an 18-week period, people lost weight, and if they have diabetes, they got better. But we noticed something else, too, and that was a surprise, that if they had depressive symptoms, they improved significantly. If they had anxiety, they improved as well, and even job absenteeism improved. And what we found was that something about the diet change was affecting their anxiety levels and their depression. And we think it's two things. Number one, this diet has an effect on the gut. Your intestinal tract actually communicates with your brain. And if you have unhealthy bacteria in your intestinal tract, it's quite different than if you have healthy bacteria in your intestinal tract. The healthy bacteria seem to create compounds that will go to the brain and improve brain Function. And so, if your diet is loaded with vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans, you have healthier gut bacteria. Also, these same foods tend to be anti inflammatory, and that helps the brain too. So, other researchers have found the same thing that plant based diets seem to help mood. So, uh, go out, go for a good walk, go for a walk in the sun, and if, if your walk brings you to a grocery store, then pick up some vegetables and some fruit and some beans and whole grains and carry them back home and have that kind of thing. And when you get home, open your refrigerator and throw out the cheese and the meat and the junk food, and uh, if you follow a healthy diet, that's going to help you. I love it.
1: Uh, we have a, a huge food allergy audience. Um, I am a person, this is personal to me um, and, and our and our audience there, um, I have four life threatening food allergies. Um, I've had them for 25 years and uh, developed them after a second pregnancy. Just all of a sudden, out of the blue, became allergic to peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. Um, and no idea why or anything. It took a lot of, but uh, yeah, and I still have them. I am deaf, I am allergic. And so, one of the ways that um, I, I control myself. In my body and my health is through the reduction of inflammation through so much of what you're saying right now. Um, I also carry epinephrine and Benadryl and notice to dial 911 and you know do food allergy advocacy because um, there's so many kids. But do you have any advice for me for other people listening who have anaphylaxis?
2: Um, well. First of all, I'm sorry to hear that you have had to deal with that challenge, but what you're doing is exactly what a doctor would would recommend, is that if you you have any allergy, you need to avoid the allergen, but if it's um, one that can cause anaphylaxis, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, it's a severe allergic reaction that can leave a person in a condition where their life is threatened. Um, and so, what you're doing is exactly right. You scrupulously avoid the f- foods that you're allergic to, and you carry an EpiPen um, with you in Two case you accidentally. You, there you go. Um, in <laughs> in, in, in case you happen. Yeah, you no, know, that's good. In case you accidentally have an exposure that um, you can't predict. Um, and the sad thing, unfortunately, is that um, it makes restaurant choices um, <laughs> something that's no longer a trivial issue. Um, we have a couple of folks on my staff here where they have gluten allergies. And for some people, uh, a gluten allergy is pretty mild and doesn't really hurt them too much. In other cases, it can be quite severe. Um, or it, you mentioned fish, sh- shellfish. Frankly, you're better off not eating fish anyway. Um, but tr- tr- tree nuts are something. That's, uh, that's something where uh, traces can be everywhere. Um, and so you're, p- you're picking the, your restaurants, and it's, uh, some of them tend to be a lot easier to deal with than others.
1: Yeah. You know, I found magnesium for some reason seems to be helping me personally um in pumpkin seed format um and and otherwise do, do you have any uh information on that? Magnesium seems to um, be helping. Yeah, I I, I too. would
2: I, I would tr- I would trust your experience and there's one more that that is very commonly reported but hasn't be re- been really subjected to scientific study adequately in my view but that's related to dairy products Some people are allergic to dairy products and some are not but what we what we have found is that when people avoid dairy products sometimes other allergies get better and it's a surprise to them I'm talking about a person who is allergic to cat dander, for example, if they stop consuming dairy products, they discover that their cat dander allergy is not so bad anymore or their other allergies improve or their asthma gets better. And they think, what's that about? And we haven't quite sorted it out, but what we believe is happening is that the dairy, the dairy proteins are priming the uh, immune system to overreact all kinds of things it puts it on high alert so that you're overreacting to other uh potential allergens as well so if you needed another reason to get rid of the dairy this is one
1: that's one yeah that's the hardest one for me that i i really struggle with because and i know a lot of us in the food allergy community do when you have allergies you're like okay well what am i going to eat and you think oh you know dairy products, you know, yogurt and because of bacteria and this and that. And I'm like, uh, I'm finding that that does not work for me. So I have been dairy free for a pretty long time. Um, and it helps. I, I don't wake up with puffy under my eyes and things like, you know, just inflammation joints and stuff. I'm 50 and a mom of four boys. So I've lived with these allergies for a really long time, trying everything probably Emily kind of like you with your quest for health as well with, um, autism
3: my yeah my daughter yep do you want to talk about
1: that a little bit this is a great opportunity um, for that audience as
3: well Uh, my daughter was diagnosed with mild to moderate uh, autism spectrum disorder at age three and speech apraxia she was nonverbal we did all the things that everybody told us to do and followed the proper diets and did aba therapy four hours a day for a year we um did speech therapy twice a week, and we only saw a three-month improvement in a six-month time. But then the next six months, I went off the beaten path and added in something called craniosacral therapy, and I hired a naturopath, and we did something called NAET, which is an allergy elimination technique, and we had 14-month development in a six-month time, became fully verbal, and our diagnosis was removed in full nine months after that, uh, that we no longer met any criteria for a DSM-5 um, <clears throat> criteria for autism spectrum disorder, um, and I believe that uh, I, I, obviously I believe that the craniosacral and the naturopath were the were the big things. We didn't stop the other therapies until it was until we were released from those therapies. Um, but uh, that was my quest for healing, and, and what took me around wider. I mean, I was already on wider avenues. I've been a body worker for 20 years. So this is not, this isn't new, but it's new to me for this, for autism spectrum. But um, Dr. Barnard, when you're looking at children, um, if you do treat children or anyone that's on the spectrum or sensory issues, um, I know that the biomedical piece, the diet and, and, um, and gut bacteria and different um, supplements are uh, paramount. Can you expand a little bit on things that, Um, either catch your attention to let you know that something is off um, nutrition-wise, or how do you test? How do you test to know what what functions are off, to know about the hormones and about the nutrition deficiencies more than just asking what people eat? Do you do any of that testing?
2: You know, it can be very challenging. Um, There are a variety of tests that people can use to look for foods that they might be sensitive to. The problem that we have is these tests have a huge number of false positives, by that I mean, you'll, um, and this is true with allergy testing and other kinds of sensitivity testing, which is some of which is done with skin, uh, skin scratches, some of which is done with um, blood testing. But you, you send your blood sample off and they send you back in the mail, here's a list of 150 things that you're sensitive to. The truth is you may be sensitive to a much smaller number of them, and it's very hard to tell. Um, there's another approach that we have sometimes used uh, for, for sensitivities, and that is that we go to a very what you might even call an elemental diet. And what I mean is you reduce the, the foods to a very small number of things that almost everybody tolerates, like rice, cooked vegetables, uh, fruits that are cooked, like applesauce, for example, and not very many other things. Now, you can eat a whole a lot of it so you don't go hungry, but it's an extremely narrow diet. And you do that for a week or two. You don't do it for a long time, but you do it for a week or two. And you see if the symptoms don't improve. And if they do improve, then what you do is you add back to the diet the foods that you've omitted, but you do it only one at a time every two days. So let's say you took out apples. Well, now you're going to bring apples back, and you have maybe three or four apples in a day. And do the same thing the next day. And if you don't have any reaction, if you don't feel any worse, um, then you keep the apples, and then the next day you add bananas. And you have a lot of bananas over a two-day period, and if you don't react, then you bring in something else. The idea is to add one food at a time so you can see if one causes a reaction, and if it does, then you stop it, and then you wait till you settle down, and then you continue from that point. I love that this advice. This is something we've used, for, we, we, uh, we've used this for all kinds of things, like rheumatoid arthritis or migraines. Yep. Um, people have done it with many things.
1: I bet we could do a whole other show with you for about three hours on just, you know, soda or pop, as people call it in the Midwest. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> the alarms just went off, didn't they? Um, out of respect for your time, though, do you have more time with us or do you need to go? We're at the 30-minute mark or so, I think.
2: We're yeah, getting I, pretty no, I do have a few more minutes, if that's helpful to you.
1: Okay. You know, it's very helpful. What would you like to talk about in those few more minutes? Um, we've got links up to all of your books You're a guest where you know we could spend 10 more shows talking about each book Everybody go buy his books, they're amazing uh, Emily and I, own, I, we're like fanning All, all over the doctor Can room. I ask him a question? Yeah, uh, yeah. and then uh, let's, leave time can I, for okay. him To compliment um, okay. our, The conversation with Let's leave it to him at the end for what we didn't talk about Okay
3: uh, You talk a lot in your book about breast cancer And the links with diet. Can you, can you just put a little bit out there for people that are listening for um, premenopausal breast cancer versus postmenopausal breast cancer and how that differs with diet?
2: Yes. Um, and, and in fact, let me just back up to kind of the beginning of this whole thing um, because what we're talking about is a condition that for many women is driven by estrogens, those are the female sex hormones, but breast cancer is only one. Sometimes a woman might have a condition that's not life threatening at all, but is very annoying to her um, that's also caused by estrogen. Let me back up and, and we can use this migraine.
1: Migraine. Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. And l- let's start with just cramps. Um, a girl is 15 years old and she goes to the school nurse and she says, I feel terrible. is just lining of the uterus, which is called the endometrium, it gets thicker. It thickens up because it's making a nice cushion in case a little embryo comes along and needs to implant. But here's the issue. Let's say a woman has too much estrogen in her blood. That endometrial lining thickens up too much, and if it gets extra thick, at the end of the month, her menstrual flow will be more heavy, more clotting, and a lot more pain because that thick endometrium produces chemicals called prostaglandins that cause cramps. So what can she do about it? She can reduce the amount of estrogen in her blood. How is she going to do that? Number one, avoid cheese. Now your listeners are going to think, how could that possibly relate to anything?
3: True.
2: Well, (laughs) cheese, cheese comes from milk. Milk comes from a cow cows make estrogen that go into the milk and they're concentrated in the cheese. But it gets worse because cows are impregnated on dairies every single year. And they're pregnant for nine months out of every 12. So a pregnant cow makes extra estrogen and progesterone and that gets into their milk. It's not a lot, but it's enough to affect your body chemistry. So the more... and, And now, I wouldn't say this if people ate one bit of cheese twice a year. But your average... Woman or man is consuming about 35 pounds of it every year, plus ice cream, plus milk, plus yogurt, plus butter, plus all the dairy that's packed into their baked goods and so forth, and they're getting substantial amounts of estrogen. Number two, fatty foods. For some reason, greasy foods of any kind tend to elevate the amount of estrogen in your blood. They seem to stimulate the body to make more of it. Number three, you need fiber in your diet to eliminate estrogen. Your liver will filter your blood and remove excess estrogens and send it into the intestinal tract to be eliminated. You're literally flushing away excess estrogens. That's good, Uh, but that only works if you have fiber in your diet. Now, that sounds funny, but fiber is the roughage in vegetables and fruits and beans and whole grains, and as long as the fiber is in your foods, It goes through your intestinal tract. It picks up that excess estrogen and carries it out with the waste. So what if your lunch was salmon or chicken breast or a steak or something like that? Those are animal products. They don't have any fiber at all. There's no fiber in yogurt. Um, There's no fiber in anything unless it's from a plant. And if there's no fiber in your diet, then the estrogen that your liver is trying to get rid of and has sent into the intestinal tract ends up being reabsorbed back into your bloodstream. So you have extra estrogen all the time. That means more cramps now, probably more endometriosis, and a higher risk of breast cancer later. Now, you asked about breast cancer, and there are some differences between pre- and postmenopausal, but it's not a dramatically different scenario. Um, if you have a higher, estrogen, a higher amount of estrogen circulating in your blood all the time, that's going to increase your risk. Um, so we want to be cognizant of that.
3: Thank you. That's a wonderful answer. Now, yeah, Elizabeth, might, if you want to give him the floor, it's perfect.
1: Yeah, that might be the best explanation of that I've ever heard in my life. And um, can you add in migraine? Do you mind? Yeah. At, before no, we go, no, because no, I I followed exactly what you said for uh, the past six months, pretty much. I was like, I had enough. I'm I'm going to you know, ditch a few more things here and add this to that. And my migraines have gone away, where I'm a regular menstrual migraine sufferer at age 50 for years.
2: Oh, I'm so glad that you've asked about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you've asked about that. First of all, migraines are not just a tension headache. It's not just sort of a bad day. A migraine is a sledgehammer against the side of your head. Um, oh. And it can, la- it can last a long, long time. And there are two issues here mentioned one, and that's the premenstrual migraines, the ones that occur just before your period or at the very beginning of it. Um, If you follow the diet changes that I'm describing, that brings down the amount of estrogen in the blood so that the changes aren't so dramatic. And you'll notice that your flow is lighter, your, your period is shorter, the pain is reduced for many women, and the likelihood of migraines, we believe, is going to diminish. But to my knowledge, no one has done a proper study of that. Um, But we've seen all the menstrual changes uh, being moderated by the diet change, and we published on this 20 years ago. Um, But the other piece, apart from the premenstrual migraines, are the migraines that just occur any old time in the month. They're not necessarily related to your period. And for some people, there are foods that trigger them. Many people are aware that aged cheeses or processed meats or chocolate or wine might trigger migraines. That's true, but there is a much bigger list than that. Um, Dairy products are a very common trigger. It can be something as unusual as citrus fruits or wheat or nuts for some people, and that's why we do use the same kind of elimination diet for migraines too. And so for people who have migraines, we first just put them on a completely vegan diet. Getting the dairy out for many people is all they need to do, um, and then they're done. But if you still have some migraines, uh, after about three or four weeks on a completely vegan diet, we go a step further. And that's when we go to this very basic elemental diet with rice and cooked vegetables and cooked fruits, but no meat, no dairy, um, and not a lot of other things. And then if the migraines settle out, then we bring these foods back in one at a time. And I've written about this in a book called The Cheese Trap. Uh, there's a whole, if you have that book, look in the appendix.
3: The Elimination Diet
2: is described. And the whole reason that I, that I wrote a book about cheese is that so many people are addicted to cheese, and yet, um, <laughs> I admit it. And yet when, they, when they break free from it, so many symptoms go away.
1: Yeah, yeah. my two to help me with my, I, I didn't have the random migraines, just the really regular predictable ones. And sugar and dairy were things that I looked at very closely to, to try and help me. And I um, I kept looking for a study on it, like how do I prove this is real? <laughs> you know, what do I say and, and make it so people believe me? <laughs> and uh, that's all I do is just chime in every once in a while to say, yeah, no, this works. But um, now we have you, and it's so helpful. Did you, before we go, Do you have anything else that we didn't cover that you would um, like to mention? And would you please come back again um, in the future? We would love to have you here again.
2: Uh, Thank you for asking. I'd be be delighted to come back again. Um, And maybe we can do it when there are fewer people online, because all of these people (laughs) online are goofing up your phone lines a little bit because they're all (laughs) streaming on Netflix. They're all streaming on Netflix. And it's not just you. I had a couple calls yesterday where people had the same problem. Um, But the book that I have been mentioning is called Your Body in Balance. And it describes the hormonal issues and how to use foods to get them better. And it has 65 recipes that are from Lindsay Nixon, who's a real genius in the kitchen. And I hope people have a chance to check it out. And and the most important thing is to not keep information to yourself. If you have some information that can help somebody else, as, as you all have, The more noise that we make, the more you're going to help other people to improve their health, and that's what really counts. I love it. Yeah.
3: All
1: right. Yeah, isn't that isn't that wonderful to hear a doctor say that, Emily?
3: I yes, love that. yes, it is. Oh my gosh! I, just, I think you're just I think you're lovely. I think you're splendid. Oh. I loved having you on my show. I loved getting to be back on here and letting you both allow me to be here with you both on your show. Uh, uh, Elizabeth, you're so kind and generous and beautiful and wonderful. And Dr. Barnard, oh gosh, you are so incredible you. with your knowledge and 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 generous with your knowledge. And I just I thank you both so much. Yeah, I think you have. Well, it's been a real
2: pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I think you have one of the Perfect. best um, voices, and you you're so kind in your in your nature and your voice. So thank you for for being that way because it makes you so accessible, and you're open-minded, which is amazing too. So, all right. So you have many more fans that if you didn't have them already, you've got all of us too. So, um, what's the best website to to follow you? That's the one question that people are asking. They're going, wait, wait, wait. We need this website.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. The website is easy. It's PCRM.org. That stands for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM.org. All right. Perfect.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Emily. Thank you all for listening and thank you for
2: um,
1: putting up with our little crackly audio. We got better in spots, but um, we'll keep working on it and and uh, we won't contribute to the, to the Netflix streaming while we're doing these shows. <laughs> I think my kids are in the house streaming Netflix. Yeah. That might be the problem. <laughs> There's four boys here at home. All right. Lots of love to everybody. Please stay healthy and well. And um, we will see you, uh, we'll hear and see you on Saturday with another show that we're doing. So thank you again, Dr. Barnard. And thank you, Emily. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day.
0: Thank you, too. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.